Oh, golf clap today. I see how it is. Come on, it's spring break. I mean, all of you parents with, with kids and teenagers that are on spring break, I understand you golf clapping, but the rest of you jokers, I don't know what's up with that. How are y'all doing this morning? That is so much better. Hey, my name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're here with us as we're continuing this series called Grow a Pair. And if you haven't been here over the last couple of weeks, you're probably like, what's up with that? Uh, you know, that's kind of an interesting name for a series. And we've been talking about that there are some characteristics that need to come in our lives and need to be in pairs if we're going to become the person that God has called us to be. And if those pairs aren't evident in our lives, then we probably need to grow a pair. We need to get these characteristics in our lives. And the idea behind growing a pair is that it's a process. There's some things that we just don't go and grab in life. There's some things that we have to build upon and grow into our lives. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've discussed a lot of different characters and a lot of different people. And we're going to continue that today. We're going to be looking at a guy named Samson. If you've been around church at all, then you've probably heard a little bit about Samson. Samson is one of those popular stories that they tell in Sunday school. And usually in Sunday school, the reason they tell that story so much is because there's little boys there. And little boys, if you don't know little boys, they like fighting and they like violence. Anybody with little boys, you, you know that little kids, they like violence. And so Sunday school teachers from a very early Tom realized that if we tell stories about killing things, little boys will pay attention. And so the story of Samson was always told a lot, but it was probably the sanitized and kind of G-rated version of Samson. And so we don't really do anything sanitized here, and we don't do anything G-rated. So today might be a little bit different for you. And so if you're here for the first time, if you're our guest here today, thank you so much for being a part of our service. We're going to be hanging out in the book of Judges. It's in the Old Testament. If you have your Bible, we'd love for you to turn there. Let me kind of give you a bit of a historical context, excuse me, context of what is happening um, so that you can understand what's going on when Samson kind of comes on the screen, on the scene here in this verse that we're going to be looking at. Basically, the Israelites, which are God's chosen people, have this tendency to follow God. You know, they, they know that God is God, that he is in complete and total control. They start to obey him, and as they obey him, God blesses them, and they, they start to experience his blessings and his promises in their lives, and it's an amazing point of their life when they're following after God. But the Israelites are a lot like us, that when things are going really good, we stop relying on God and we start relying on ourselves. And, they, and so what happens to them is they have the propensity to go off and start doing their own things, trusting in their own abilities, looking to other things and other gods for their source. And whenever that happens, all throughout the Old Testament, usually they would get overtaken by another people group. And this is exactly what's happening. It's about 1,000 B.C., uh, and that's exactly what's happening to the Israelites. They've been overtaken by a group of people named the Philistines. And the Philistines are an interesting group of people because they absolutely love to fight. I mean, they not only do they like to fight, but they are really, really good at it as well. I mean, they like to go and just kill people and dominate and take over. And so that's where the Israelites find themselves. They find themselves oppressed by these people. Now, the Israelites are a lot like you and I, I'm going to guess, because I don't know about you, but I have the tendency that I'll be following after God and I'll be trusting God. And before long, because things are going so good, I start kind of doing things on my own strength. I start doing things on my own power and my own ability. And before long, like God's not even on the scene anymore. But when I start going in that direction, what always happens is I end up jacking up my life and I get to this point where I'm like stuck, I'm messed up. 
And what I do in those moments is I typically turn back to God and go, God, help me out. Anybody out there like that? Am I like the only one that does that? I, I would think that most of us do that. And that's exactly what's happening here in this story. It's what's happening in this moment. And God is so amazing because no matter how jacked up we do life, God is always right there just waiting for us to cry out to him. And God hears the cry of the Israelites and his answer is to send them a person. And that person's name is Samson. And Samson is unique because Samson was born, his mother couldn't have children, and all of a sudden she's able to have this child, and she decides that because this child is so unique that she is going to make a, a Nazarite vow for Samson's life. Now let me explain, explain what a Nazarite vow is so that you know what that is. Basically it means that this person is set apart or consecrated to God. Like there is something special about their lives. And so Samson has this Nazarite vow upon his life. And, and, and the thing about the Nazarite vow is that typically it wasn't a lifetime thing. Typically it was something an Israelite would do for a season of their life. Maybe it was a week or a month or maybe a couple of months so that they could show their dedication to God and how how set apart they were to him so that everybody else would see and know that they were following after God. Now, there's a couple aspects of that vow that are very important to this story, and I want to tell you what they are. There are three main things that you would vow to abstain from if you took a Nazarite vow. One of those is that you would abstain from alcohol. So that means no world of beer or going to the club on Friday night and getting drunk. It means no crystal, none of that stuff, no, no Bud Light, no cores, none of it, okay? So, like, he's like, I'm not going to drink. Part of it is, is I'm not going to drink. The other part of it is, is that you would not cut your hair. So, basically, you would be a hippie for as long as you were on this ride. So, you were just like, hey, man, what's up? You know, and just growing the hair out, looking like an 80s headbanger. And the third part of the vow was that you would not go near anything dead. And so, Samson's Nazarite vow was unique for a couple of reasons. Part of it is because he was set apart at birth to be a Nazarite, which basically meant that he didn't have the choice to make that vow himself. Now, secondly, Samson was commanded to remain a Nazarite for the rest of his life. So there wasn't like a timetable on his vow. It was something that he was supposed to live out for the rest of his life. And because of the uniqueness of this Nazarite vow, people looked at Samson differently. They looked at him as this strong and this noble and this honorable and this disciplined and this man that was just solely and completely sold out to following after God. And so he had this, he had this aura about him where people saw him and they just recognized that, man, he was, he was this devout guy following God. And so that was the perception of him. And what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks is the fact that a lot of times how we define manhood is by looking at all of the exterior aspects of people's lives. And so we look at if somebody's strong or if they're successful or what their resume looks like or how much they can bench press. And we determine how much of a man they are based on those types of things. But right here, it goes back to it's not all about the exterior things. It's about the interior things. It's not about what's happening on the outside. It's about what's happening on the inside. It's about what is up with our character. And so throughout this story, we're going to see some aspects of Samson's character that maybe you'll identify with somewhat. And that hopefully that if you do identify with those things, that we can make some changes 
to become more of the man or more of the woman that God is calling us to be. So let's take a look at Samson. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 14, starting in verses 1 and 2. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now, I, I know that there's some single dudes that are out there that they wish that they could just go find a woman that looked good and just go to their parents and be like, hey, dad, hook me up. Like, because that's basically what Samson does there. He, like, he goes in and sees somebody. He's like, that girl looks fine. Dad, hook a brother up right now, right now. Like, and his dad's like, well, well what? You want me to find that? And we start to see some things about Samson's life right here is that, you know, he goes and he chooses a woman that is part of this Philistine clan that is obedient to another God, that loves another God, that is, is totally against everything that they are against. And, and what you start to see is that Samson wanted to take this Philistine woman as his wife because he didn't have much regard for God or God's people, which he was a part of. And continuing on to verse 3, it says, His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? Basically, they were from Alabama, Israel. And so, like, he's like, hey, listen, isn't your sister marryable? You know, and uh, sorry if you're from Alabama. I, I apologize, but it's in the Bible. I don't, I don't know what else. Yeah, the roll tide, whatever. So the, his dad's like, uh, like, sister, your cousin, anybody, and, and Samson, and, or, and he goes on to say, or among all the people, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. Basically what happens is his parents put some pushback on him and like, you don't, you don't want her. Like they're trying to help guide him in his life. But Samson right away disregards him and says like, listen, she is the right one for me. Basically he's like, that is what I want. And right away in, in Samson's life, we start to see that, that he's more focused on the external things than he is the internal things. He always looking at is the woman's beauty. He has no regard for her character at all. Verse 4, it says, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at the time they were ruling over Israel. Throughout Samson's story, we'll constantly see some truths in there. One of the truths that you'll see throughout Samson's story is, is that our sin the mistakes that we make will never screw up God's big plan for life. Like God's plan is always going to come through. God is bigger than any circumstances. God is bigger than any situation. God is bigger than any single person. And his plan is always going to come to fruition. The unnerving side of that is, is that this is another truth that we all need to recognize is that we can still screw up our lives with our sin. That God can still use our lives in spite of our sin, but that means at the same point we can jack up our lives because of our sin. And God will simply allow us to accomplish goals for him, but yet live a mediocre, meaningless life if we choose to make poor decisions in life. And Samson, unfortunately, is this tragic story of somebody who accomplished a lot of God's goals, but lived a tragic life. In verse 5, it says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, so he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman. 
and he liked her. So at this point, he wants the woman. This is the first time he's talked to her. Like, he didn't have much going. Like, he just was going based all on looks. He talks to her for the first time, and he's like, oh, she's nice. And then he goes, sometime later, he went back down to marry her. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. It was in a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave some to them, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Right here we see Samson kill this lion, which is an unbelievable feat of strength. I mean, it was an absolutely incredible thing that happened to him. And, and right here in this story, you see something that you see all throughout Samson's life that is pretty, pretty important to it. And it's this phrase, and it's the spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And this phrase is a constant reminder that, that Samson's power didn't come from himself. Samson's power was constantly coming from God. And the, the killing of the lion displayed this incredible strength in Samson, but it also displayed something more about his life that was even maybe a little bit subtler than the vicious killing of the lion. It's the fact that he was totally disregarding the vows that he made because there he was walking through a vineyard which part of his vow was he was to abstain from alcohol, and part of that vow was to never be in a vineyard or never be around grapes or olives or anything that could make something that would be alcoholic. And so you see him teetering on the edge of what is the line in life. And not only that, but he goes and he goes into a lion's carcass and gets honey out of it. He's supposed to stay away from all dead things, but yet there he is showing complete disregard for this vow that is supposed to be so important in his life. And you start to see the steady theme that's emerging from Samson's life is that he is constantly looking around and living this reckless, selfish, self-centered life where everything is about him. He didn't want to play with any rules. He didn't want to have any boundaries. Boundaries were there to be broken. And so what happens is Samson demands that he marries this woman and his parents obliged to it. And as they're going to get married, they bring 30 guys to be his groomsmen. He doesn't really know these guys. They're Philistine guys. And so Samson is a cocky, arrogant guy, kind of like a lot of guys that are strong and powerful. You see them in the gym, and they're always walking around flexing and trying to make the most of themselves. Why? Because they think they're all that in a bag of chips. And they're, and they're arrogant, and they're cocky, and Samson's the same way. And so he says, listen, guys, I've got a deal for you. Let me tell you a riddle. If you can tell me what this riddle means at the end of seven days, I'll give you 30 uh, pairs of clothes. Like, I'll hook you up. I mean, we'll get you some. We'll get you some seven for all mankind jeans. We'll get you some true religion shirts. We'll get you some Cole Haan shirts. Like, we'll hook you up. It'll be like going to New York and going shopping. If you can tell me this, but if you can't, then you got to take me shopping. And like, that's a smart man right there. Anytime you're bartering for clothes, good, good thought. But it wasn't a good thought for him. And so he marries his wife. And they go on their honeymoon, and, and on their honeymoon, these guys can't figure it out, and so they go to his wife, and they say, listen, if you don't tell us what the answer to this riddle is, we're going to kill you and all of your family. And that kind of puts a downer on the honeymoon, and so she cries for the rest of the time, and she begs Samson to tell 
her the answer to the riddle because how could he trust her, uh, not trust her for information like this? And finally, right before the seventh day, he tells her and she goes and tells these guys and, and they come back and they say, here's the answer to your riddle. And Samson is pissed at this moment. In fact, he makes probably one of the worst mistakes of his life. And he says, listen, you would have never known the riddle if you had not plowed my heifer. Now, basically, he just called his wife a fat cow. Like that right there is never a wise decision in a relationship, okay? Like, guys, let me just give you a piece of advice. Don't ever call your wife a fat cow, okay? Uh, and so he's mad, and what happens then? His response comes in Joshua 4, or Judges 14, 19, and 20. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully. Then he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 of their men and stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who attended him at the feast. There's that phrase again. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. And throughout Samson's life, no matter what decision he made, good or bad, you constantly see this phrase that when the time comes for him to do something, the power of God comes upon him. And no matter how bad his decisions are, God is still accomplishing the goal of what he wants to have happen. And through all throughout Judges chapter 15, you see Samson constantly making these selfish decisions based on revenge that he wants to get because of what other people have done to him. And God is constantly showing up and intervening with his spirit and with his power because he wants to accomplish a goal of rescuing his people from the Philistines. But Samson continues to make poor choices. And we pick back up in Genesis 16, or Judges 16, starting in verse 1. And it says, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her, and the people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn we'll kill him. So we see the Philistines, man, they are fed up with Samson. They're like, man, we just want to rid ourselves of this guy. This guy is a nuisance to our kingdom. This guy is a nuisance to us. And it says, but Samson lay there only until midnight. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate, and together with the two posts, he tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now we are looking at Samson's life and all of a sudden we start to see a pattern emerge in Samson's life that Samson probably had some sort of addiction problem when it came to sex. Because what you constantly see in Samson's life is that he objectified women, he used women, he showed significant weakness when it came to women. And right here, there is a subtle clue that Scripture says in this passage of Scripture that is so different because in the middle of the night after he slept with this woman, that is his weakness, they're waiting, and waiting for him to kill him. And he goes and he picks up the city gate, which they say, um, going back in history, when they're looking at this, archaeologi archaeologists are saying that this gate would probably weigh about 5,000 pounds. Like, I don't know about you, but any dude that's jacking up 5,000 pounds is a strong dude. And not only does he just pick up this gate and rip it out of walls, but it, they say that that traveling up Hebron, the hill there, would have been like a two-mile journey. So this guy is like the ultimate crossfitter. Like, he is going all out and doing the workout of the day. But the subtle thing that we, we don't see in this verse for the very first time is that the Spirit of God was not with Samson. 
This is the first time, all the rest of the times throughout his journey, the Spirit of God would come upon him and he would do something great. For the first time, Samson is acting of his own accord. And anytime we start acting of our own accord, own accord, tragedy is right around the corner for us. The thing is, is I wish that that didn't describe some of us here today. The tragedy is right around the corner for us. Especially for us guys, because some of us have gotten away with a lot of things. We've been doing a lot of things on our own accord. And, and we haven't suffered the consequences of our recklessness. We haven't suffered the consequences of the decisions that we have made. We we're, think that we're very highly of ourselves and we're constantly thinking that we're strong and we're indestructible and that nothing can overtake us. And the problem with that is that some of us have become so focused on our strength that we've become blind to our weaknesses. We become blind to those things. And this is the thing. A real man, a man of character, always acknowledges his weaknesses and attacks those things. He always goes after them. The other alternative is just to continue down the same path thinking there is no weakness in our life. And you know what I think of when I think of somebody like that? I think about a little boy. I think about a four-year-old. Think about your four-year-olds. Because what do they do? They go home and they put on that Batman costume, don't they? And they go, and they, when they think they put on that Batman costume, they think that they're stronger. They think they can jump off anything. They think they can accomplish anything in life because they're wearing that costume. And that's really cute when you're a four-year-old. But when you're 44 and you're still thinking that you're indestructible and invincible, it's not very cute anymore. In fact, it's pretty sad. And some of us are thinking that we are indestructible and that, that there's nothing that we can't do or that, nothing that we can accomplish on our own end. And if we don't wake up and quit pretending like we're strong enough and we've got it all together, then tragedy is right around the corner for us as well. Verse 4 in chapter 16 says, Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, tell me your secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me with the seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Once again, we see Samson displays this weakness for women. Don't you think at some point that Samson probably should have learned this weakness was pretty evident in his life? But isn't that just like us? We keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again, and we never even recognize that we're going down this path. And the most interesting thing about this verse is that the Philistines, they no longer want to kill him. In fact, it says that they don't want to kill him anymore. They want to tie him up and subdue him. I think the reason they want to do that is because they've noticed something about, about Samson that they think that they can change his mentality and instead of fighting for the Israelites, he'll fight with them. The reason they think that is because they've seen one thing lacking in his life, character. And anytime you lack character, it's only a matter of time before you're found out because you can only pretend for so long. You can only pretend to have it all together in your life. You can only pretend to be that perfect father for so long. You can only pretend to be doing things on the up and up in business for so long. At some point, the truth always finds you out. 
And when the truth finds you out, the enemy is always there, ready to pounce and ready to destroy you. And Samson's character starts to betray him right here. And because it betrays him, he still believes he can do anything he wants to do in life because he is strong. But he, what he fails to realize is that he's playing with fire. And anytime you play with fire, you end up getting burnt. And so he continues to toy with Delilah, telling her little bits more, just towing the line closer and closer to revealing the one last vow of his Nazarite vow that he has not broken. And in Judges 16, verses 15, it says, Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me. Haven't you told, why haven't you told me the secret of your great strength? With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Soon he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hands. And after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called Samson. The Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as I have before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gorged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him grinding grain in prison. His hair was the only component that he had yet to sacrifice in his pursuit of his own desires. And his power didn't leave when his hair was cut. His power left when God was not with him. Because Samson's power always came from God. This past week, my little nephew... His name is Maximus. Uh, he just turned one two days ago, was, was in town, and we were over at, at, at a house hanging out with them, and he is just learning how to walk. He's not very good at it yet, and I was, I was walking around with him, and when, you're, when babies are young, you know, when you hold their hands, like, they think they can go anywhere at any place at any time. Like, they have all the security in the world, so I was holding his hands, and he's walking, and I'm just walking around with him, and I'm, I'm enjoying myself because he's a lot of fun. Like, he's like a little... Maximus from, from, you know, the movies. Like, he's just going to dominate people. I, I can't wait for him to grow up and just, like, kill people. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and, and so he's like Maximus from Gladiator. That's who he is. Like, that's, I think that's what he's named after. I don't know that, but I'm claiming it for him. So, and so we're walking around, and, and because he's, a, he's independent like most of us, he slaps away at my hand, and I'm like, what punk? And I'm, like, pushing him down with my foot. And, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that, but you know you want to at times. And... <laughs> And so I'm like, okay. And so I let go of his hands and, and he starts to walk. But because he isn't very strong yet, his legs are wobbly and he starts to wobble and he falls down. And Maximus is a lot like us and he's a lot like Samson. A lot of times we think that we're stronger than what we are. We've, we've, we don't recognize that our strength is coming from a higher power, from our Father who is guiding us and holding us along the way. And we say, God, I've got this on our own. And we stumble and we fall. And God allows everything to come crashing down 
in Samson's life. And God, the reason God allows that in Samson's life is because Samson got to this point where he thought he was independent of God, where he could do it on his own. Like so many of us, we think that we can do all of these things on, his, on our own. We think that we can be the father that we want to be on our own. We think that we can be the businessman that we want to be on our own. We think that we can be the husband that we want to be on our own. And what we fail to realize is that when we don't have God leading and guiding us, we will fall flat on our face. Maybe some of you guys are experiencing that right now. I call that a lot of times where we get to the end of our rope. When we get to this place where we are broken and we've hit rock bottom. What's it going to take for you to come to your senses in life? Is it going to take a tragedy like you being locked up and enslaved and enchained? The ironic thing about Samson is, is they gouged out his eyes, which is the very thing that he had the most problems with. And all of a sudden, they made him a slave, grinding grain. And, but Samson already knew what it was like to be a slave because he was a slave to his desires all the time. He could never seem to get past them. Do you ever feel like a slave to your own destructive behavior? Do you ever feel enslaved to those desires? What happens to the rest of Samson's life is, is pretty tragic. He eventually is brought to be mocked and on display for all the Philistine leaders as they're having a party. And Samson is still bitter about the fact that they gorged his eyes out and he's leaning up against the two support beams inside locked up to them and they're mocking him and they're making fun of him and he's on display for all to see and he cries out to God and says, God, Give me the strength one more time to repay these Philistines for what they did to me. And God gives them the strength and he pushes down the pillars and kills these 3,000 Philistines. And God's goal happens. They defeat the Philistines. But even at the end of his life, I don't think Samson really got it. He was more concerned about revenge than he was what was going on inside of his heart. He wanted to repay them for what they did rather than running back to God and saying, God, I need you in my life. Not just to accomplish what I want to accomplish, but so that I can become the person that you've called me to be. What Samson failed in is he failed to combine strength and wisdom. See, Proverbs 24, 5 says this, A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. See, wisdom always comes before strength, and knowledge always comes before might. Samson was strong, but he was not wise. He was not wise, and that is such a deadly combination in life. I have a good friend. His, uh, his name is Stocker McDougall. And uh, Stalker is a, is a really interesting guy. I really wanted to do a video with him this week. But last Friday night, uh, Shayla and I got a phone call and an email about Stalker. Stalker uh, happened to be in a car accident that was really, really bad. And they had to get the jaws of life to get him out of it. And, and anytime you get the jaws of life to get somebody out of a vehicle, um, the percentage of them living, the chance of them living is like 1%. Uh, but we were at the hospital and, and Stalker's recovering. But Stalker is an interesting guy because Stalker spent nine years in the NFL. Um, 
Stalker is one of the largest and most intimidating men that I've ever seen in my entire life. Stalker is about six foot seven, maybe six foot eight, uh, with the right shoes on. And he weighs about 330 pounds. He was a first round draft pick in the NFL. So that tells you what kind of skill and what kind of ability he had. He played at Oklahoma University. He was a Sooner and uh, he was a bad man. I mean, like he annihilated and he killed people. And I remember one of the first times meeting Stalker, you know, just being in awe because his hand was just so much larger than any hand I'd ever shook before in my life. In fact, it kind of just swallowed my arm. It was like, thank, can I have my arm back, Stock? Thank you. Um, and, and I started hanging out with Stalker and we started working out and I, and I would talk to him about his life and, and about his life in the NFL and what that transition was like to real life because he had just come out and and he told me, he's like, man, my entire life has been about my ability to physically dominate people. It's been about my ability to pancake defensive linemen. It's been about my ability to be stronger, to be faster, to just overwhelm people. And that got me through my career. But it's destroying my family. See, Stalker has five kids and, and a wife and he took that same mentality and tried to apply it to his family dynamics. But just having strength doesn't make you a man. And he started to recognize and he started to realize that, man, I don't need to use strength. I need to, I need to soften my life. I need to start caring in my life. I need to start being compassionate in my life. I need to start looking at the needs of other people in my life. And he started to realize that his life wasn't about being indestructible. His life wasn't about using his strength. His life was about gaining control. And he started to realize that strength under control was the thing that he needed to guide his life, not strength out of control that had gotten him to that point. See, strength under control, you know what that's called? That's called wisdom in life. And when you combine strength and you combine wisdom, something powerful happens in that combination in your life. When you're no longer living off your skills and your abilities, but you're living off of the, the knowledge of knowing that I need to subdue just this aspect of my life so I can walk it out in the proper way. And when you put those two things together, you can do some amazing, amazing things. When you put those two together, you can become a better father to your children. When you put those two together, you can become a better husband to your spouse. When you put those two together, you can become a person that other people want to follow as you lead them to places. As you put those things together, you can become a man, a real man. Because when you put those two things together, what you start to look like is you start to look like Jesus. Because here's the deal. Jesus was always the most powerful man in every room that he walked in. There was not a single room that he walked in where there was somebody stronger, where there was somebody that had more authority, where there was somebody that could do more than he could do. Jesus was always that, but Jesus didn't exert his power through force. He didn't exert his power through strength. He didn't exert those things through manipulation. How he exerted strength and wisdom was through love. How he ex exerted that was through serving other people. 
How he exerted that was through teaching other people. How he exerted that was by healing other people. And ultimately, he used that strength to go to the cross and endure what we could never endure so we could have what we could never accomplish on our own. Does that mean that he didn't get angry and do some things at times? Yes. One time he did. And even in the midst of his anger, he was still in control because it was a righteous anger. See, there's a time and a place to show your strength, but wisdom must always be guiding that strength. A lot of times we define strength by how we look and how much we can bench press. And and those are good things. I think we need to be healthy. We need to take care of our bodies. We need to do all of those things in our lives. Like we don't need to neglect those things. But strength with wisdom is so much bigger than that. It's bigger than physical strength. See, strength is is as a father taking your five-year-old daughter out on a daddy-daughter date. See, strength is, is going to your son football game when he's 13 years old and cheering in the stands like you're at a Miami Dolphins game and they're actually winning for once. Strength is is treating your spouse with love and respect and honor that they deserve, not what they're due. For single people out there, strength is, is embracing your values rather than going by your desires when it comes to relationships. That's what strength is. And some of us need to embrace this strength under control, which is called wisdom. Because this is what I know about all of us. There's something that's interesting about Samson's life. There's one more time that he's mentioned in the Bible. And it's in the New Testament. It's in in Hebrews. And he's mentioned among a list of people who had great faith. In other words, Samson's problem wasn't his faith in God. Samson's problem is that he never got his gift under control. He never recognized the amazing gift that God had given him. He thought it was all for him. And while God accomplished great things through his faith, he lived a horrible and tragic life. I believe the Samson's in heaven. We can live a horrible and tragic life and still make it to heaven. But is that what you want? Is that what you desire? Be wise. Stop relying on your own strength. Stop relying on your own wisdom. Rely on something greater, someone stronger, someone wiser, someone bigger than you. You're God's child. You're connected to Him. When you're connected to Him, you will be strong. It's when we disconnect from Him that we become weak. And and I know some of you are thinking, well, that doesn't make any sense because if I'm connected to somebody, that, that would mean I am weak. But that's not how it works with God. That's why God says for when we're weak, we become strong because His strength comes to us. And when we live our lives with wisdom and we rely on God and our lives are connected with Him and we stop relying on our own gifts and our own abilities and we start relying on God is when we start to really recognize and become the man or the woman that God is calling us to be. Because God is becoming strong in us and through us. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you here today. This is what I know is that a lot of us, we rely a lot of times on our own gifts and our own abilities. And we try to 
push through on our own talent. But God, many of us know that that doesn't really work. That while we might be accomplishing your end goal, we're living a tragic life. We're not the husband that we should be. We're not the father that we should be to our kids. We're not the employer or employee that you called us to be. God, I pray that today we would recognize the greatest thing that we could do is we could recognize that our control is just an illusion. Our strength is just an illusion because everything that we have comes from you. And the greatest thing that we can do today is we can honor you with those things by submitting our lives to you. And so I just pray right now that we would lay down our thoughts and our agendas that we would recognize that Jesus was the strongest man. And if we have the strongest man on our side, you know what that makes us? That makes us strong. Jesus, I pray that we lay down our pride, that we lay down our gifts and abilities at your feet so that you can do something great in and through us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.